Hello, I'm Vada. I'm Carlo. And you're listening to VCR. I need a drink. We all need a drink. I think we could all <laughs> use a good I know I've had a hell of a day and I could use a nice stiff drink. It's just like not getting any better, like going to have to go in to get a second opinion on something. I was like, I could use a fucking whiskey and a mead chaser right now. Carlo, if, if you if you needed a drink right now, what what would your drink be? Um, right now, I'm already kind of planning out. I have a bottle of Woodford Reserve, mm-hmm. my usual go to uh, whiskey or anything. I'm not being sponsored. Um, and on the on a rock, one good whiskey stone, like big, uh, solid ice cube, and about two fingers pour on top of that, and enjoy. That's actually what I'm feeling right now. A little bit of a little bit of whiskey, a little bit of bourbon. So when you say on a rock, do you mean more like a granite or a pumice or what kind of rock? Actually, um, I don't I, I don't literally mean I do have whiskey stones, which are uh, soapstone. So they stay nice and cold and they don't add any liquid. But not that Whitford is like harsh or anything, but I like it with a little bit of the water from the, the stone kind of like cooling it off. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I get um, they're about it's an ice cube. It's like a, a sphere. I'd say two and a half inches by two and a half inches. About. I know what you're talking um, about. Yeah. So it's one of those and I just pour it right on top of that, sip it. It keeps it cool. It takes forever to melt. So you can probably get two drinks out of it without before it starts watering your drink down. But nice. that's um that's kind of what I'm planning for the evening. Ah, and what has brought this about? What has brought your this desire to have a little refreshment? Well, I was talking to one of my bartender friends. Um, she is this amazing woman she went from zero to 60 inside of uh in, in a, about a year a little over a year she went from i've never really worked in a bar to ending up behind a bar and becoming an extremely prolific uh really really talented bartender uh i constantly brag about her as being the person the person i like i know a lot of really great bartenders in the city um but she is the one like she makes the best pina colada i've had anywhere uh, is when she makes it, it is almost like there's a cookie of foam, just the pineapple and the Coco Lopez whipped together slowly. And it's not like a frozen, it's all natural stuff. Coco Lopez, r- uh, rum blend, uh, pineapple juice, the real thing, shaken. And she gives it a little time to rest. I, she, tells me, she told me all the chemistry of it. Whenever she puts it down, it's in a t- Collins glass. Mm-hmm. And slowly you'll see the pineapple foam just rise gently out of the glass, maybe of a quarter of an inch. So it looks like cappuccino foam. Perfect oh, that's little neat. Meniscus. And it's creamy and delicious, not overly saccharine and cloying. It is sweet, but it's a bright, rummy, strong pina colada. She makes the best one I've ever seen anywhere in the I've been. And we were chatting about just sort of lore, these legends, these stories about drinking. And she brought up something I had known because I was complaining about a lot of people ordering espresso martinis. It's very hip right now. By the time this episode comes out, it may not be cool anymore. But if it is, go out. You can tell the story and you can send really cool because you know the origin of the espresso martini. And you know, I've never had an espresso martini. Explain what that is, because I've never had one. Well, one of the things, it is a slightly newer cocktail. Its origins are in 1980, depending on the exact version of the story, 1983, which makes it the year I was born. Um, But it is usually a vodka drink uh, with a fresh pull of espresso mixed together, uh, whipped so it's a little bit foamy and then usually garnished with some actual espresso beans. Traditionally, it would be in a place with actual espresso. Um, now, a lot of different versions exist now. Personally, I like to do a uh, coffee liqueur uh, 
specifically Mr. Black, because it is rich, real coffee with vodka mixed together. Use that as the base of it. But um, a lot of people just use poured coffee. Some people use a shot. I've, I saw a place that did it with the, the took, pulled the espresso puck, the little like solid chunk of, uh, de- of worthless, useless beans at the end, mm-hmm. and use that to sprinkle on top. It's a terrible idea. That's gross. Don't do that. I would think that would be a horribly. <laughs> it's terrible. It ruins it. Like, ter- like, like, I'm not a big into that drink anyways. That makes you know, it horrible. It's kind of like, you know what makes this beer taste better? Let's sprinkle some coffee grounds on it. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> they are coffee grounds. Yeah. Like, oh, the puck. It's like chocolatey. No, it's no. not. <laughs> Beery. It's coffee grounds. That's all it is. Groundy, now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, some, uh, one example uh, that I have here is 50 milliliters vodka, 25 milliliters coffee liqueur, 25 milliliter fresh pulled espresso, a little sugar syrup, and then three coffee beans, traditionally three coffee beans, uh, to top it off. Mm-hmm. Now, the honor of the creation of the cocktail it goes to a British uh, bartending guru, a guy named Dick Bradsell. Uh, he uh, and essentially the story goes that he created the drink, which he uh, was called the vodka espresso first, then the pharmaceutical stimulant at Fred's Club in the eighties. Uh, when a, a young model, uh, uh, I'm told the story that uh, Lena told me was it was Naomi Campbell. Uh, she went up to the bar during a very long photo session that was like. She'd been taking pictures in beautiful outfits for like 24, 30 something hours. She went to the bar. She had like five minutes and then she had to go right back. She had, she didn't have time to eat because she didn't have time to like order food or anything. She had a, she had time to have a cigarette and a drink. So she sat down and she says, look, I need something to wake me up and fuck me up. And he was like, I got you. He put together the espresso, the first uh, espresso, the vodka espresso served straight up in a coupe. It looks like a really rich black coffee with a uh, creamy topping, almost like a cappuccino foam at the top of it. They are strong. They are boozy. It's an upper and a downer all at the same time. It's everything you want in life. Um, hmm. And she started going around tell, like telling people, like, I, I was here. Brad Soul made me this because he's a little bit of celebrity. She's a celebrity. It became the thing. And for a moment in the 80s, everyone did it. And then it kind of quieted down. More recently, it has popped up again. I couldn't tell you why recently. She couldn't figure it out either. We were thinking that we, we were like looking for it. But recently, bars all over Houston, at least, they are going through espresso martinis like gangbusters. Wow. That's kind of neat. I did not know that. Because, you know, I have a growing up in the 80s, I don't remember ever hearing it. But then I didn't even know that was becoming a thing again, that it's kind of reemerged itself. So that's kind of neat that that's even happening. That sounds oh, just kind of a cool little like, hey, this at one point happened. And it's back. It's a thing that's happening all over again. People are kind of into it. It's like Pac-Man, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like it was a thing then it wasn't a thing. And now it's a thing again. Yeah. Uh, no, there are a lot of like stories like that. What so much of like maybe given to like the old idea of the tavern where travelers would go to ba- go up to the bar in a town. And that's how they would learn about where they are. That's how they learn. They would learn like who to trust, who to talk to. And it's the watering hole. Everyone knows a bar is a watering hole. So there's always like this, like cool mysticism. There's like a legend lore to bars and drinking in general, because it's not enough. Like for people know some things like uh, the origin of nachos. It was a chef named Ignacio uh, working near a military base. Some brass walks in a little bit drunk. They're not going to anymore. They're closing the restaurant. And his the uh, like top brass and their wives are like, we want food. 
and you have to do it because we're rich and white and we're military. Give it to us. He's like, oh, shit. Uh, cool. Yeah. Runs to the back, cuts up tortillas, fries them up crispy like tostadas, but just little triangles. And he just has the, the leftover condiments. He didn't have, he had like a little bit of ground beef left. He had cheese, lettuce, uh, olives and things. Just the stuff that went on the, that went on top of things, just toppings that went on other things. No, but it didn't have like the heart and soul of a meal. Threw that on top of the chips, melted a little in a salamander or in the oven and then brought it. And like, here you go. And they're like, oh, this is good. And the next day, all they could remember was nacho. Hmm. Nacho. It must be called nachos. He's like, no, 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 no. Ignacio. They called me nacho. I, Ignacio's dish because I made it nachos <laughs> so so there's like that legend lord of food and drink and mm-hmm. some really fun so I brought, I've, I've dug up a few dumb silly little stories from bars and drinks mm-hmm. that I want to share with you and our listeners and for you to co- feel free to comment where you like <laughs> absolutely so let's what is our next one now uh I as you know big fan of like of noir detective movies old black and white movies and I've come and I'm the king of them Humphrey Bogart. Mm-hmm. Now, there's this great old story. And the best thing is, part of like it, for the most part, we know exactly what happened because there was a court case about it. During Humphrey Bogart's uh, career as an actor, he was known for being a big drinker. But really, his drinking career was way more prolific. <laughs> um, ah. Among other things, uh, other adventures. He was originally he like people know like Frank Sinatra as the uh, chairman of the board of the Rat Pack, but the one who christened them the Rat Pack, Humphrey Bogart, uh, after a house party, woke up first thing in the morning to, to have coffee, have a cigarette, and play chess uh, with his wife. Uh, <laughs> walk walk out of their bedroom and looked around and saw what would become the Rat Pack passed out in various piles on the floor and he kicked them out, kicked them to wake him up because they were in his way. Mm. And he told them they looked like a pack of rats mm-hmm. all over the floor, naming them, coining the name for them and always being this, like as Sinatra was the chairman of the board, but he was the Godfather. He was then one that gave them that identity. <laughs> so that he had a very prolific drinking career. And there's huh. just one night, one night, he goes out. Um, uh, he doesn't have Lauren, uh, Lauren McCall, his wife. He doesn't know who was like the love of it, like this immense love that they were very mm-hmm. passionate for each other. She wasn't there. So he goes out with a drinking buddy. They're just going through New York City, just drinking as much as they can and then leaving. They're stumbling around and they see a store that is selling a 20 pound stuffed panda in the window. 20 pounds, massive stuffed panda. He's like, we need two of those. So they go in and they buy both of themselves a 20-pound massive stuffed panda. As they're walking around, still very drunk and only getting drunker, they go around to these different clubs. Eventually, and they would go everywhere they would go, they would like, he would, you know, we need a place for four. What? Me, my friend, and our dates. And they would hold up the pandas. Mm. So that they would always be like, oh, a part of it is obviously like, oh, you can't sit there. Why? There were four people at that table. We have four guests at that table. We have four, like they put it between them. Everyone has to be on the other side of the panda bear. So that, you know, because they're hanging out with them with them, the bear. And so the pandas are their dates. <clears throat> they hit El Morocco, a nightclub, and they requested a table for four. <laughs> wow. They get a table because fucking Humphrey Bogart. Give him the goddamn table. And they are just pouring whiskey down their throats. At one point, a young model named Robin Roberts. And again, we know all the details because there's a fucking court case about it. 
Um, maybe this she was trying to flirt. Maybe she just wanted to be seen with Bogey. Not a bad call, but Bogart, again, famously was madly in love with Lord McCall, would never do anything on towards, but he also was a, he was a, he was a thing. People think of him as like a tough guy, punchy. He was a smart guy. He knew what any, if someone took a picture with some, with some random uh, model, young little model, all of the papers would be screaming about it. He knew that. So she walks over, she tries to take the bear. Trying to get near him to like, I'm going to, I now she might've been like, kind of, maybe she's flirting. Like, I'm going to take the bear. I'm your new date. Or she was going to switch place and sit down next to him. Someone's going to try and grab a photo of it. Someone like, they're, like what if someone's like, trying to take a photo? So he, and again, because there's a court case, so we know exactly what happened. When he saw her fucking around with his bear, he shouts, get away from me. I'm a happily married man and don't touch my panda. <laughs> so he grabs the bear and does it, pushing her. It's like, get off my bear. It's my property because she's stealing from him. This is mine. Get off it. Mm-hmm. Then like he didn't punch her. He just like was you're taking for you stealing from me. Don't do that. Shoves her away. She falls over. Uh, some say she threw herself. Some say she fell. Obviously, her court case was he hit her that he see that he attacked her. So the story comes out because obviously Bogart pushed a woman in a bar while he was drunk. Oh, Roberts was on the front page of the local newspaper showing pictures where displaying bruises that she claimed were his fault. She accuses him of assault. And several days later, Bogey finds himself in a Manhattan courtroom with the pandas. <laughs> and her lawyer argues that Bogart attacked her. And there are pictures. Here are the pictures. Look, she's on the floor. There are pictures. Of, there's all these pictures, including one of her walking up to him. Like her walking over to Bogart. There are pictures of her on the floor, but there are no pictures of like the moment this happened. That's weird. It's a little weird, right? Okay. Now, then they notice something else. Um, Who took these photos? Well, the photos were taken by a agency for young models. She had a photographer with her. They were there to trap him. This that's why he was there so they're like okay so you absolutely were trying to trap bogart in something and then took pictures of it got it but that's not the crux of the case the crux of the case is uh according to the penal code that panda was legally proven because he had the receipt bogart's property and according to penal code any citizen has the right to protect his property and even use force so had he hit you that would have been fine the fact that he only pushed you, not even a question. Bogart walks free. <laughs> and as he exits the courtroom, he is greeted with cheers of happy New Yorkers. Yeah. <laughs> and she walks out. Jeered. Mm. As she walks out. Boo, we know what you were doing. Wow. Never talked about the panda again. Bogart took a picture with it. <laughs> there's a there's a picture of him and the, him and his buddy and the pandas like that's this is our dates and they will testify for us that bitch started it. Wow, Humphrey fucking Bogart. <laughs> well, Bogey is is just you know he's amazing. I love all of this stuff to be honest. You know, like he's just absolutely spectacular. Uh, there's just this a, a larger than life character in ways and all these amazing movies, but. And just it's a weird, cute little story that 
he actually had to go to court and testify. Well, she tried to take my fucking panda, <laughs> mm-hmm. but he won. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> so what is something else you got in this little bag of uh, another vote? I found there is in a city in uh, Canada, Dawson City, Yukon, Canada. There is a, a social club you can join. <laughs> I like that you're laughing already. Like, it's a social club. <laughs> a so in the club. downtown hotel, there's a there's a bar called the Sourdough Saloon. Mm-hmm. You go there and you order the sour toe shot. Now the sour toe shot is now you can have any liquor you want. You just choose your liquor. That's fine. The shot, however, comes with an amputated human toe that has been mummified. I'm sorry. What? There's a mantra. Because they will say it while you drink it. They put the shot glass in front of you, like a highball glass with a little bit of alcohol. Your choice, whatever alcohol you'd like to drink, not a problem. Enjoy. So you know, if I don't like tequila, no problem. The toe, however, is non-negotiable. The mantra they they chat is, you can drink it fast, you can drink it slow, but your lips must touch the toe. Okay. Do the shot with the toe in the glass, and you kiss it as you take the the sip. The tradition was started in 1973 by a Captain Dick Stevenson when he just found a toe. He found a mummified toe cleaning out an an old cabin. It's not his toe. He has no idea where it came from. It was just somebody's fucking toe. Now, according to local legend, it was a 1920s rum runner called Louis Lincoln. And um, his brother Otto got caught in that that, uh, old cabin and froze to death. At one point, Louis stepped in a puddle. His uh, froze to- his toe froze solid. And in order to prevent gangrene, they chopped it off, uh, and they preserved it in alcohol, thinking maybe we can fit- save it. Thus, it was mummified. Uh, the good news is the toe no longer is that toe is no longer there. The original okay. toe long gone because a miner in 1980 swallowed it. So then, what what toe did they replace it with? If they're still using members a toe? of the social club provided uh ew, no apparently oh, yeah no it has been replaced with a new mummified toe and the members are if one if anyone gets a toe a, a mummified toe bring it in and that'll be the new toe but the original one was swallowed by a minor <laughs> not a child like pickaxe like, like yeah pickaxe <laughs> yeah like coal miner still, still minor yeah. wow but it's a weird thing they started doing and like well we can't stop doing this we have to do it forever now that is a bit much. That's all I'm people, going to say. Yeah, people do dumb shit on alcohol. We've I've I've told stories of doing dumb shit on alcohol. That happens. But famously, there are those geniuses that insist it's important that you gotta you gotta get your, your alcohol intake. Uh, one of them who became kind of um was little known in his time, but became a big deal once people kind of looked back on him. Nikola Tesla, Serbian inventor, mm-hmm. huge disliker of prohibition. Now, he claimed he did obey the law and he abstained from alcohol during that time, but it made him very a very sick man and caused months of suffering. Uh, he made his feelings known publicly in an article, uh, New York World Telegram in 1932. He, made, ha- he wrote a piece said, chewing gum more fatal than rum. Uh, Tesla blamed the notion that alcohol is bad on dry propaganda. He viewed moderate consumption is act- not only good, but crucial for good health. It aided thought, speech, physical exertion by acting as a sterilizer of elementary channels and preventing infections. 
He also believed that uh, studies that decried the, the drawbacks of alcohol were flawed because they either used drunkards or people who are already weakened due to environment or uh, uh, inher- uh, uh, what they had inherited from their past. So if you already had like a history of, of cirrhosis of the liver from your, from uh, throughout the generations, that, and when you get it, you it, and now that is seen as obvious. Like, yeah, you should definitely, like smoking is bad. Sure, smoking to excess is bad, but it's worse if you already have a history of cancer. Alcohol is, alcohol is bad, sure, but it's worse if you have a history of alcoholism, alcoholism in your family. This You can inherit these traits. And the arguments of, in moderation, everything you say is true. Like it, it is actually, it's good. It does calm the nerves. It does help people relax. It does, it, it can uh, help uh, uh, dealing with infection and many stomach ailments. Again, the moderate consumption, a reasonable amount, not getting wasted all the time, but a reasonable amount of alcohol is still enough to get drunk sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, but that's ge- Tesla genius called it. Yeah, well, Tesla, I mean, fucking brilliant. Also a weirdo. Well, I mean, yes, he married a pigeon, and but yeah. you know, fuck it, you know, he was happy, isn't that? Yeah, he won't bother you. <laughs> Him and his pigeon don't bother you, yeah. or me, or anyone else. It's none yeah. of your business. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Leave me uh, leave the man alone. So, <laughs> is there another interesting little tidbit that you have? Uh there I I have a bunch of a bunch of little bits. There's um, as you know, I'm uh, I consider myself a writer. I do enjoy uh, the 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 spoken word language or uh, the language of speak English. Um, there's a couple of quotes here just from Ernest Hemingway that he famously said that are about drinking. One of his best lines, always do sober what you said you do drunk <laughs> because that will teach you to keep your <laughs> mouth shut. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best way to learn to do that. That will shut you mm-hmm. up. He's right. Um, and as his, uh, according in his own words, the secret to his literary success, which I believe in whole- wholeheartedly, write drunk, Edit sober. <laughs> That's a good point. That, I'm going to have to use that in some of my journalism classes. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to quote Hemingway real quick. <laughs> it's just, it makes sense and it works. It, it frees you up because as Tesla, point, Tesla pointed out too, it does make you stop questioning, questioning your first instinct. And the way the human brain works, it's all about like, it's, it's better at explaining something than making a decision. So later on, when you're editing, you're going back and you if and you will either have a good reason why that instinct was correct, or you will know for sure there's a better option. It works. Absolutely. Um, another famous drinker, Andre the Giant. Oh, yeah. A wrestler. Mm-hmm. He stood seven and a half feet tall, weighed over 500 pounds. There's a famous picture. You should look it up online if, uh, at home. There is a picture of him holding a beer can. And it's... And it is in his hands it is miniature it mm. looks like he's holding a toy it is so teeny in his hand um now some people were like he had now some they would they said he was he had a famously strong tolerance for alcohol makes sense he was huge makes sense he was beefy he was manly he was also french he was quite french uh on average andre the giant would consume seven thousand calories of alcohol every day mm-hmm he would drink a 12 pack of beer before any wrestling match, a full 12 pack on road trips to wrestling matches. He would average a case of beer every 90 minutes. In one case, Andre the giant consumed 16 bottles of plum wine before wrestling three matches shortly thereafter. And it showed zero discernible effect whatsoever. Mm. 
He rarely drank enough to pass out. One of the few times he did, he was consuming 119 beers in six hours. That is roughly one beer every three minutes, nonstop for six hours straight. Just think about how like, that's like pouring a bucket down your, down your throat. I want to ask how much it took. Someone asked, how much does it take to get you Andre the giant drunk? It usually takes two liters of vodka just to feel warm inside. <laughs> just to feel, and it's vodka. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. You want to know something interesting? He <laughs> has, there's a story about him and uh, the famous playwright, Samuel Beckett. They had a meeting was as uh, when Andre really? was yeah, uh, no joke. Samuel Beckett, the well, Mister Waiting for Godot, and and so and radio and so oh. many other amazing plays. Him and uh, Samuel Beckett had a little, uh, you know, encounter, and and he 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 talks about meeting Samuel Beckett. That's very cool. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I love Andre the Giant. Like, I'm a, I'm not saying I'm the hugest Beckett fan out there, but some of sure. his stuff is just spectacular. Yeah. Like, it, Waiting for Godot is. Oh when you my think God. of like this wrestler and this very, uh, very brainy writer, <laughs> you know, very, very. I mean, his his writings. I mean, it's total theater of the absurd. You know, absolutely, but but, I mean, there, but, know, a, it's, but there, it's not just and uh, theater of the third. Like I, I how you're using it doesn't mean just it's just silly. It's not that it is. No, it's definitely not. It's breaking brilliant. the yeah. standard rules of understanding. Yeah, so it's, that's why I say it's dense because it can it could if you like being late to a Beckett show and just like what is happening? <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, absolutely. Even with context, you're like you always have to be asked what is happening, and coupled with I'm gonna go hang out with. Pro wrestler Andre the Giant. Yeah. It's a very cool juxtaposition. I'm not saying know, like that means he's stupid. I'm just saying like that. The, no, the different like, it's, in media. It's very cool that they they're even hanging out. Yeah, <laughs> but like, um, if the best way to explain Beckett is this: if Shakespeare is algebra on stage, uh, Beckett is calculus. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you know that. Yeah, that's basically what Beckett is: calculus on stage. <laughs> Oh man, but Beckett is just like really, really out there. But great, absolutely great. So anyway, uh, going on, me... uh, yeah, uh, kind of in this in the same vein. There is a um, uh, in eighty seven hundreds, early seven hundred. Uh, there was a Chinese poet named I apologize for getting it wrong. I think uh, Li Bai, uh, L I and then Bai B A I, um, who was like getting a lot of attention. He had over nine hundred poems uh, drawn on like on his own life reality of so, uh, social hierarchy spirit of the high tang dynasty and just like uh he had uh, these famous poems waking like one of his famous poems is waking from drunkenness on a spring day <laughs> uh, about drinking the hard road to shoe about drinking quiet night thought about drinking um it's still taught like as to like uh, for that like emblematic of that sign uh, that that uh, time period and that style of of poetry but according to uh legend uh lie by uh, who, had, who had a liking for liquor, big fan. He was out on a boat and drinking when an attempt to try and kiss the reflection of the moon. Oh, he fell overboard and drowned. Yeah. That's sounds... that's how he died. Yeah. He was so drunk. He wanted to kiss the moon. So he leached over to the water where he saw the reflection, he fell in love and then fell into the water. Um, uh, one of his fine, one of his poems being called 
alone and drinking under the moon. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Fucking fascinating. It's amazing how alcohol influences life. Right? It will sometimes get you killed. <laughs> yes, now, I, it will. I, just to kind of go the other way, yes, admittedly, alcohol can get you killed, but there's a weird panic that isn't always earned. Uh, for example, the green fairy absent. Oh, yes. Yeah. Reportedly, it has wormwood, it's toxic, it's like psychedelic effects. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. This is a myth, but <laughs> it, it's just really strong and it's an easy way to get drunk. And yeah. it was, it became um, this symbol for like the party generation in France at the time. So, and they, and, but it, it would, so much of it was just like a decision to make absinthe the bad guy. Mm-hmm. There was a notorious uh, death of a of Jean Lanfray, a French laborer living in Switzerland in 1905. Uh, he was convicted of murdering his pregnant wife and two children while in a drunken rage. That's it. Okay. okay. <laughs> he was well, now, according to what the, the official reports, um, they said it was most oh, well, it was he had he was drunk on absinthe. And it was used as a kind of like with the surrounding panic from that, it was used as one of the like proof, like, look, we have to, the influence of absence, we have to like ban absence in Switzerland. And it was successful. Um, it was later revealed that he had also drunk seven glasses of wine, six glasses of cognac, one coffee laced with brandy, two creme de mints, and two glasses of absence. Not much at all. I mean, yeah, oh, perfectly reasonable. Right. <laughs> which is not a bad night don't get me like that'll, that's a good it's, night it's that's a, a pretty good night, night but you but know. so little of it was absinthe but they just had to like but that's what we're blaming is like okay obviously he had a fucking problem he was drinking all that he had a sandwich and then he drank that's how much he drank after he ate, he ate a sandwich and then he had all that to drink yeah he had I'm a fucking a- problem the absinthe was not the issue no definitely not in this case now I have had absence. I've had a night of absence, and when I was when I was already in a bad mood, uh, and a beautiful woman uh, made me a drink with too much absence in it. Um, and after and at one point or other, she's like, "Are you feel like like you're, they're gonna feel really good in a minute?" I'm like, why? I think she's hitting on you, and like pointing to a woman at the bar, and then the wall next to me started cracking, shattered, and then a pure white light burst forth. Toulouse Lautrec, a short little Frenchman, showed up, jumped out and said, Carlo, you will have sex with a large woman. Mm. And pointed at her. And I looked over and I went over to said hi. <laughs> now, that could be <laughs> Toulouse Lautrec just happened to be there or might have been the absent that called him from the other side. It could have been. Whatever. I had sex with a large woman. We all had a great time. That's fine. <laughs> So absinthe is not evil. I'm just saying it can get it can get a bad. It, it, uh, a bad it gets a bad reputation, and it yeah. didn't do anything to you. Yeah. You know, it's just you know doing People its don't. job. You know, yeah, and that's well, that's the thing. It can bring out the monster or the animal inside of you. For example, 1891, a man living in a Russian town of Vilna, uh, he was offered a bear. Someone gave him a bear as a pet. Like you want this bear? It's cool. You keep it as a pet. Uh, it, it's really tame, but it likes vodka. So, you know, just every once in a while, let it have some vodka, you know, keep it happy. Uh, and the man said, yes, cause he's an idiot. So he takes the, takes the beer or the bear as a pet. Uh, and one day bears like, you haven't given me vodka today. So he barges his way into a tavern, cracks open a keg of vodka and starts drinking it down. The tavern keeper who's, who did decided to keep, who decided no one to live. 
Because if you saw a bear tear into your tavern, mm-hmm. pick up a keg of vodka, tear it open, and start chugging, are you going to politely ask the bear to leave? I might. No, <laughs> do not do that. The bear, he immediately mauled the man to death, went upstairs and killed his whole family. It's a bear drunk on vodka. That's not, that's what happens when I get vodka. Don't fuck with me. Just mm. shoot me. Just put me down. It's the only way to deal with it. So who's the bear? Slaughter's innkeeper goes up, slaughters the guy's two sons and his daughter. Villagers stay the fuck away until they heard snoring. Then they found the drunken animal asleep in a pool of blood and alcohol. They wow. fucking shot it. And then they shot it because, of course, they did. Good. They should yeah. shoot it. They killed a family. But it was just like, it's like a really bad joke. So a bear walks into a tavern <laughs> and everybody dies. Oh, God. <laughs> good, good joke. Good joke. Oh my God, that's definitely out there. And it just, that's one of those things you hear it and it's like, no, that can't be real. That can't. <laughs> sounds but, Russian to me. But, you know, it sounds, <laughs> sounds like, you know, not real. That's what it sounds like to me. You know, I could be wrong. It could, yeah, it's, uh, it could be apocryphal, honestly. I mean, really, it's one of those stories that could go either which way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean that it didn't happen. But the chances that it did happen are like, well, maybe. I can see it's Russia. You sure. know, Russians. <laughs> what? What? I mean, they're they're Russians. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, there's a another a fun apocryphal like uh, uh apocryphal history story. Mm-hmm. There is the the bet between Cleopatra and Mark Antony. Oh, okay. Let's roll with this. Basically, she was kind of bragging that like because you know, Roman and uh, Egyptian at the time. Uh, one of like the ways you shoot, you showed how much power and wealth you had was you wasted it. Still kind of true today. Look, look, I bought like a, yeah. I bought a thing that's this expensive. Look how cool I am. Just a dumb, sh- look, just go to the Galleria in Houston. You'll see it just wasting it's, it's shit, money just on dumb shit everywhere. Yeah. And, and then people are like outside starving. You're like, Oh, like you could buy, you could buy $200 jeans instead of $400 jeans and we have that guy a meal, but I guess we'll get you $500 jeans. Yeah, so we'll get you the $500 jeans. So they made a bet um, that whether or not she could she could spend 10 million sestatis, uh, the Roman currency, on a single meal. So it's like, I could, I could spend um, an unfathomable amount of money on a single meal. And that seems weird at the time, uh, but Given given now, we're like everyone's perfectly willing to like just charge you like here's a cheeseburger that costs two hundred and fifty dollars because they put gold on it or some shit. But you don't have the pricing isn't based on that. The base is the price is based on like the wholesale price. So that two hundred fifty dollar cheeseburger really only costs about nine bucks at most for the gold, and then like a maybe a dollar for the for yeah. the actual food for the actual food product you can actually ingest and not just pooping out gold you weird fucking idiot so that price is astronomical but they made the bet and in this lavish display uh at one point during the first course of the meal and and they have this course out and it's like oh it's this much money it's so much money nowhere near 10 million he's gonna win the bet i'm mark anthony i'm so fucking cool and then she pulls out a pearl Mm -hmm. at the top of the second course she orders uh, when she's ordering to, uh, the second course to come out, in accordance to previous instructions, the, per- uh, the servants place in front of her a single vessel containing vinegar. So vessel, okay. Vinegar takes the pearl, drops it in. They continue to eat. The pearl slowly 
dissolves in the vinegar, which it will, which is, this is, it takes a long time. Mm -hmm. So presumably this dinner took on, took on like an entire day, but at the end of which she picks up the vessel, explains how expensive that pearl was because it's the pearl that wins the bet. It's like this pearl was one of a kind in the world. It's technically priceless. Mm -hmm. It is now dissolved in vinegar. She does it like a shot. And then presumably is the first mic drop in history. Oh, wow. He's like, wait, so you, you took a priceless one of a kind pearl that is so unique. It, there is no way to price it. It is that expensive. Yup. Dropping vinegar, wait for it to dissolve. One shot it, throw it against the wall and call everyone in the room a bitch. <laughs> wow. It's disgusting, but kind of a cool way to like. It is. It's kind, kind of, of a cool, cool way to hey, look at that. It's kind of a cool fuck you, man. So yeah. But I mean, I personally just will put the pearl in there, just like you know, swallowed it whole. Why dissolve it? You know, just like presumably it was a big pearl, but yeah, like yeah. even like that would still count, right? Or yeah, crush yeah. it up and then use it to sprinkle on top. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like modern chefs aren't as creative. No, that's a creative not. answer. I'm going to dissolve this into a weird. A, uh, a scientist did check to see if this would work. Mm. Actually, got this and said, like, well, if you heat up the uh, heat up the vinegar, it's faster and will dissolve, and then it will turn into a slush. And then reported, it actually kind of brings down the uh, the acidity of the vinegar and makes it less caustic. So it's actually kind of pleasurable. It's not that good. It's not a tasty beverage. But if you had to drink a cup of vinegar, there's all the pearl in it. It makes yeah. it easier. It makes it makes it slightly better. Slightly. It's a little nicer. <laughs> According to the scientist, which I love, is like we tested the theory. I did drink it before you asked. I wasn't going to, but okay, what does it taste like? All right. Wow. Not that, that good. That is, yeah, interesting. <laughs> that is super interesting right there. Now, the uh last bit I have here is mm -hmm. if you're interested, yes, I have a couple of a couple of options for the game we'll be the assholes yes definitely what do we got all right uh for the listeners home as you know uh i'm going to go to the am i the asshole subreddit we'll pick out a couple of options borrow will choose the one he thinks is going to be the most interesting then we will listen as i read along uh then we will make a decision we will let the internet know whether or not they got it right the options are the poster is the asshole uh <laughs> they're not the asshole no assholes here everybody sucks or the other guy's the asshole so we we can and and all things in between but essentially we're going to check to see if the internet's right and by right i mean if they agree with us and today we have two options bringing it back to the alcohol two options number one is am i the asshole for getting non-alcoholic beer at 5 p.m the other one is <laughs> am i the asshole for not giving up my 7 a.m beer slash whiskey okay so it's different two times uh, a day. We we gotta okay. We gotta go with the beer slash whiskey. That's that's yep. the one. Yeah. All righty. So this was posted uh, seven months ago by Pacman Twelve A. Am I the asshole for not giving up my seven a.m. beer slash whiskey? I will preface this: I am not an alcoholic, nor do I believe I have a drinking problem. No. There are no children involved here. <laughs> So wait, thank God. That's <laughs> Good. God. I work shifts. My working week will end with two or three overnight shifts, uh, 1800 to 600. 
After my last shift for the week, I like to have a beer or whiskey or two and chill on the couch watching crap on YouTube for an hour before bed. This just happens to be about 7 a.m. Other than that, I will drink perhaps once more on my day off. My partner gets up for work at 7 a.m. and regularly will complain about me drinking in the morning. I don't see an issue with it. A couple of days back, she staged an intervention with her friends and some of my family to get me to stop drinking and really focused on my drinks in the morning, calling me an alcoholic and saying I have a problem. I said it's no different to her having a drink after work on a Friday with her colleagues. She thinks it's somehow it's different because of the time. I disagree. I have refused to stop drinking at 7 a.m. My partner, her family, and friends have called me an asshole and all sorts of names over this as I don't see her point of view. Am I the asshole for not stopping drinking? There is a quick edit after this, but we'll come back to it after a summary judgment. Oh, my God. This is. Oh, God, this is kind of a hard one. Um, I get her point where she's talking about how, like, hey, you know, you get out of work and you have a, a nice cold one. Okay cool and but for most of us out of work consists of like 5 p.m or 6 p.m or something like that the the whole 7 a.m and i'm having a whiskey and a and a and a beer right or what is sounds bad yeah Yeah. seven in the morning yeah seven in the morning isn't the time you normally have that but i get for her time is all kinds of screwed up So on this one, what I'm going to say is that no, she's not an asshole. It's just not the norm as to when everyone else drinks, but she's not an asshole for not, you know, like going along with the, because if if you, if your partner, Hey, 5 a.m. 5 p.m. They're out of work. Like, Hey, I'm going to go get a glass of wine and, uh, maybe a shot of something, you know, after work. Well, hey, then yeah. that's what you're doing. Your partner is doing the same thing. It's just the time is off. And don't get me wrong. It, it's a weird time. I can't it's imagine popping open a whiskey bottle at 7 a.m. It's like, let me get this down before I go into work today. Uh, right. I can't. I can't. Which, which that. where, where is that's you know? that's the key difference. Yeah. Because like I, I agree with you. Like it's 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 hard to say. Asked, I see her. I see the, the partner's point of view, of like it's a bad look to be having a beer at seven a.m. Mm-hmm. But that's not when they're having it. I know temporarily, literally, they're having a beer at seven a.m. But mm-hmm. what we're talking about is you work for all week. The last day of that job, the last day of your work week, you get off work. You have dinner and a drink. Because the drink is had an hour before they go to bed, not an hour before they're going to work. That's the difference. It's 7 a.m. Absolutely. But if they if their bedtime is nine, nine a.m. Yeah. Have a, when, the reason it's like it, it makes sense that it's weird to be at 7, 7 a.m. because most people should be getting ready for work at 7 a.m. And that's true. But if that's not the world you live in, it's easier for me working at a bar. If I've had a hard day, I've worked nine, like eight or nine hours people yelling, cleaning up messes, literally cleaning toilets, handing out food, explaining to the uh, idiots for the fifth time that vegan means there's no cheese. That's my, the last nine hours without a break. When I get home, I'm going to have a beer. 
I don't give a fuck that it's four in the morning. I'm off of work now. I'm allowed to have a drink. Yeah. But like, yeah. yes, it is early, but that's why bars are open at that time. That's not related to this. It's not a societal issue. It is a personal issue. And the person not liking the drinking, like, I don't feel like the, the, the partner is like seeing what the other person is going through by saying, it's not the same if I go to after work to for have a beer. It's exactly the same. After work, you have a, you can have a beer. Mm-hmm. That's what we were all promised as children. Yeah. That, if that's not the case, we need to burn it all down. That's the only way capitalism gets away with it. I get to have a beer after work. I'm an adult. I worked hard. I get to play hard. And it's an as he as the poster put here. She was a poster put it as they put it. They have that drink, and an hour later they're in bed. Is there anything wrong? for having a, a dr- one drink an hour before you go to bed. No, I can't say that there is. I think the only off-putting thing to this is, again, it's 7 a.m. 7 in the morning. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, <laughs> I can't say that they're an asshole and they're not doing anything wrong. They're going to bed afterwards. So, I mean, I can't, I can't fault the person for this. Yeah. So I, I, I get I, that it makes others uncomfortable, but it's, it's weird that they aren't considering that very yeah. simple fact of, like, we're not talking about and then I go into work because obviously you shouldn't have a, oh, you shouldn't have a, let me have a quick whiskey before I go into the office. Of course not. But a one hour before going to bed. Sure. Yeah. But that's, that's the context difference. So I, I see why there's a little bit of a disconnect, but I think like, it sounds more like the partner is not meeting them half for the conversation. Yeah. They're just, you have to d- stop. You're done. You don't get to have that. I'm, I'm going to, well, can we discuss? That's, yeah. Yeah. Go so I'm going to rule that not the asshole. On yeah, just not the asshole. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the the way it sounds like he sounds it sounds like he got pretty attacked. So I'm I'm considering the partner might be the asshole. You know, I'm debating. I feel that like too. I'm on the edge. I'm not quite there, but I'm near there. Yeah, I, I'm kind of right there with you because I can't say they're the asshole because I mean I get it. It's the yeah. seven a.m. is an off-putting time to crack open one, yeah. but I understand both sides. Therefore, I can't say that either one's the asshole, although I can say that is a bit judgmental on her part, but that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily make her the asshole for saying, hey, 7 a.m. is an inappropriate time to be having a drink. I'm, I can see myself saying that, but I can also see the other person's argument. So I'm, yeah. I'm just going to rule no asshole here. I, th- I agree with that. I think that makes the most, it's pretty even handed and fair. Now, there's a quick edit here at the end. Uh, quick edit as my drinking habits keep getting asked. Now, this is a good point, I think, because we are we are really look bring that into it because he's that's what he, that's what he told us about that. You can't have that beer at that time. If he's drunk the rest of the day, then yeah, fuck him. He's wrong. Yeah, he's wrong. So usually drink one or two occasions a week. Max drinks would be five drinks per week, barring a party or celebration of sorts, which isn't often. I have never previously been been an alcoholic or had a substance problem. I drank more in my early 20s, but have calmed down over the last 10 years. Never had a DUI, nor driven after drinking. Never missed an event because I was drunk. Never missed work as a result of drinking or drunk before work. When I drink, I drink standard size drinks, 330 uh, milliliters of beer or 50 milliliters of whiskey. I like to drink after my last shift as it relaxes me and turns my mind off, like easing me into the weekend. Hmm. I mean, I get it. It doesn't sound like he's doing anything bad. I drink far more than that. (laughs) I drink far more than that. Um, 
I, if, and again, this is one sided. This is, we only hear from one mouthpiece. I think that's perfectly reasonable. I think that's a good way. That's the important way of thinking of it. It's like leasing into the weekend. The, the has never been drunk before work. Cause I, that's, that's the issue. If he was going into work, then without a doubt, that one whiskey is a problem because you, you have to, you're doing something that requires you not to be drinking. Yeah. But the reality of it is the last night before he goes to the week, he goes into his weekend for a normal person. That's Friday happy hour. I get so much money on Friday happy hours. Mm-hmm. Bars get money on Friday happy hours it is perfectly seen as perfectly acceptable. The only difference is his happy hour, his I'm going to be as I'm going to be unconscious. I'm going to be in my bed home and sleep in an hour from now. I will have one drink. That's, that's not I, bad. That's yeah. not bad. Like I can't get mad at the, I can't get mad at him. That seems fair. So I, I, I'm still, I'm still on the side of no assholes. Uh, they are not, this person definitely had the asshole. I'm on the cusp. I'm not quite up to saying they're definitely assholes. I think the friend, the friends and family kind of coming down on them. That's unnecessary. That that's probably overstepping a little bit, but I think, that some more communications needed here. I don't think there's an asshole. Yeah, I'm really not the asshole. So, what does the internet say? All right, uh, a few people up pretty up front, not the asshole. There is a really clear failure in logic, and people can't understand that you have uh, you are having a few drinks at the end of your work week and before you go to bed. That's it. Doesn't matter for that for you. That happens at seven a.m. It's completely normal. Um. Uh, there are bars around hospitals that are open at 6 a.m. for the overnight crew to be able to go out. They do pretty well with it as they've been doing it longer than I've been alive. So not the asshole. This is a normal thing for shift workers. Because, again, it's a shift worker. Nurses and doctors would have yeah. this. Uh, ex-airport worker here. I used to do six to do six on, three off. So my week, my week was nine days rather than seven. Trying to arrange anything was a nightmare. Like if someone mm-hmm. wanted to meet up more than a week in advance, I could tell them if it was on an early or late or off, but until the rotation was released, I couldn't confirm times. People used to act like I was being so obtuse, like my early shift couldn't start anywhere from three to 11 and start and, and late could be from 10 to eight. I would be off at either 10 or 1800. And that's just start times. My family can't understand how my partner sleeps all day. He works night shift in a factory. He starts at 2200, finishes at 600 in the morning. He gets home, then he goes to bed. He won't wake up until 15, 1700. So definitely get people forgetting schedules outside of nine to five exist and find it annoying as all hell, but not the asshole. As I used to say in my airport days, your Friday does not line up with mine. Hmm. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, that is. Yeah. And if As, you, that's why we recorded, uh, we're recording this today. Ordinarily, be recording on a different day, but my schedule is all fucked up because I work at a bar at night, and they're like, "Hey, can you work all the nights forever?" Like, sure, why not? You know, yeah, yeah that's that's what I have to do. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a life. <laughs> why not? Why not? Yeah. Until we're paid for this podcast, that's what I have to do. <laughs> and speaking of not having a life, I just want to tell because by the time we get this out there, it might be around that time. Uh, we officially have a website now we do so we do we ha- it's the vcrshow.com and pretty soon right now it's just uh, a few blogs but pretty soon uh carlo and myself will be uh putting our fun thoughts into words for our reading community our people who like yeah. to do that god knows i don't but i'm writing it anyway <laughs> <laughs> so you know for those of you who want to like look into our minds that oh my god they're seriously fucked up this is a way to do that and please support us by going to our 
website, which is the vcrshow.com, all one word. And uh, check out some of our thoughts and what we're writing about. You know, it, you might find it rather entertaining. Hopefully. <laughs> and if you have any interesting folklore about drinks or a story of your own you'd like to share, Definitely please do so. Hit us, us up. Yeah. yeah, hit us up um, at uh, on Instagram or Twitter at the VCR Show. Or you can email us to the VCR Show at gmail.com. Yeah. And until next time, I'm Vada. I'm Carlo. And you've been listening to VCR. Cheers. Salute. Prost. <laughs> Need some good sweet show. Good show. Next big event. Or maybe you just have a sweet tooth. Check out Skippity Cakes. That's Skippity Cakes. S K I P P I T Y C A K E S dot com. Check them out for all of your sweet treat needs, things such as cakes, cupcakes, and cake pops. Also, check them out for their varieties of face masks, t-shirts, and coffee mugs. You can also contact them at 281-221-9703. That's 281-221-9703. Again, that's Skippity Cakes. Say hi to our friend Rosie for us. Looking to shape up or maybe get rid of some unwanted fat? You need to give our friend Roxy Perez a call. Book a mobile appointment. Melt some unwanted fat away. You can reach her at 832-686-3873 or email her at ascensionaesthetics at gmail.com. You can also find Ascension Aesthetics on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ascension Aesthetics. Need a clean space? Call a clean space for you in multi-services and ask for our friend Rachel. They can be contacted at 832-297-1704 or you can email them at acleanspaceforyou at gmail.com. You've been listening to VCR. Creative content by Richard Christopher Vada and Carlo Manuel Magana. The logo created by Richard Christopher Vada with assistance from Annie Ramirez. The theme song is The Messenger by Silent Partner and can be found on YouTube Music Library. You can follow us on our social media platforms such as Twitter and Instagram at The VCR Show. You can also email us your thoughts, comments, and concerns to thevcrshow at gmail.com.